Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hello, everyone. Uh, this week, I want to talk about a new book. Uh, it's, in fact, written a long time back, but it's one of the books I've again uh you know like to reread it uh the name of the book is the snowball uh, which is a story about warren buffet and uh, it's been a number one bestseller if you're a value investor you love this book because it talks about uh the thesis of value investing and why how the compounding machine really works and and, and two famous rules of warren buffet which is uh, don't lose money and the rule number two is not forget the rule number one and uh, in this particular podcast i have uh, jeff Ortliff, who's the uh, author of forever employable uh, how to stop looking for work and let your next job find you so let's look in, look let's listen to this very interesting interview where jeff talks about you know what you should do in order to uh, stop looking for work and make sure that you're forever employable Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Jeff Kothelf who's a coach, speaker, author and consultant to help organizations build better products and executives build the cultures that build better products. After co-writing the award-winning Lean UX and Sense and Respond, uh, Jeff co-founded Sense and Respond Press with co-author, long-time business partner and friend, Josh Satin. Uh, it, the goal was to bring customer-centric, evidence-based decision-making and agility back into corporate cultures. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So, you know, how did you get your, get your first job and, uh, you know, what made you become a coach and speaker? And, you know, uh, I understand that you're now living in Spain. So how did the whole journey came around? Yeah, it's, it's, um, I'll try to make it as, as quick as possible, but it's, um, you know, it's 20 years of work to get here. So I'll, I'll try to tie it up as neatly, but I, look, I started off working in the U S uh, well, I wasn't working. I was trying to be a musician. I was trying to be a, uh, a rock star. I played in bands for a while through college and after college. Oh. And, and then it kind of in the late nineties, I was tired of being broke because musicians are broke yeah. and, uh, I got a job in the web 1.0 world where, uh, you know, if you, if you could spell HTML, you could get a job. And so I got a job coding up HTML and doing some front end graphic design. And I uh, quickly learned on the job how to do web design and quickly transitioned into interaction design and user experience design. And over the course of about a decade, as the web got more complex, my skills got uh, evolved a bit more and I ended up leading design teams and then product teams. And then about uh, 10 years into my uh, career, I found myself in a, in a situation where I had to figure out how to make agile software development and user experience design work nicely together. And up until that point in time, very few folks had successfully done that. In fact, most folks had failed. And with the help of my team and some folks outside of my team, we found a solution and that solution we called Lean UX. And I wrote a book about Lean UX and that really changed my life. I ended up speaking about um, how to implement Lean UX, teaching classes, 
coaching teams, coaching executives. And since that book came out, I've, I've increased the scope of the conversation that I'm having to, uh, to, to work with um, executives as well as teams to help them build the kind of organizations and cultures and incentive programs that support agility and customer centricity. And now I, I'm moving, taking, applying all that design thinking and product thinking and agility and customer centricity. And I'm starting to move in the direction of helping people deal with that, apply those ideas to their own uh, careers and professional development and growth. And so I, I've spent the last 20 years sort of building up my own career, then teams, then organizations, and now really focusing, starting to focus a bit uh, back on the individuals. And um, the nice thing about that is that the consulting work that I've started doing when Lean UX came out about seven years ago has enabled me to build a career and, and a, a platform that is agnostic to, loca to location. I can work from anywhere. And so we decided a few years back to move to Spain. And, and that's been a fantastic decision. And we've been very, very happy and, and privileged to be able to do that. Wow, that's, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, you've written a, a famous book, which is Lean UX. Uh, who did you target for this book? And, uh, you know, what made you write the, uh, write the book? And what can, you know, are there, are there any design principles or rules which product managers or designers need to follow uh, when they want to, you know, create uh, a great design and uh, create great products? Yeah, I think like a lot of good books or good software applications, we wrote Lean UX based on solving the problem that we had ourselves, which was integrating user experience design and agile into, into a seamless process. And as we worked to make it happen, we learned a lot of things and we, I was blogging about them, I was speaking about them, other people were writing and discussing this kind of stuff. And so by solving our own problem, we ended up helping a lot of folks beyond just our own team or the people that we were hanging out with in New York City at the time. I mean, at the core of it, it's, you know, there's a lot more to it than just UX design, even though it's called Lean UX. Right. But at the core of it, it really talks about building cross-functional teams, building transparency into the ways that we work, and ensuring that the customer is at the center of every conversation so that we're not thinking about features first, we're thinking about customer problems first. We're measuring success not as creating a design or creating an application, but actually positively impacting customer behavior and really opening up the design process in a way that allows, allows others to participate in it so that they feel like they're a part of it. And, and what that does is it starts to break down the waterfall, the silos that we have in a waterfall software development process. And that's where the collaboration comes. That's where the efficiency comes. That's where the shared understanding comes in. And that's what makes teams successful. And that's what the, the best products are built using those kinds of techniques. Right. And also the, in the book, you talk about, you know, how to create um, uh, MVPs and, uh, and uh, you know, in, in such remote uh, times and the times of crisis, when people are supposed to work from home uh, or, or remotely, how do you get quick feedback from people who are not in the same physical space so that, you know, you can create um, MVPs or create uh, solutions to customers' problems efficiently? 
I don't think that's a really big issue anymore these days. I mean, it wasn't an issue really even a decade ago. The, the ability to, to speak with people, to interact with people, to provide them with interactive materials remotely has been with us for a while and has only gotten better in the last, in the last decade or so. Um, you know, the tough part is you don't get to see their office or their home environment that much or maybe all of their uh, sort of physical reactions um, but that's, that's generally speaking, that's, a, that's only a minor part of it in most cases, exactly. not in all cases, but in most cases, and that will at least allow you, uh, so, so by, by sharing things over, over Zoom or Skype, by providing them with interactive prototypes, by sharing screens, by having them talk through their tasks like you normally would in a, uh, uh, in a face-to-face situation, you are... Uh, still able to get that feedback from them in a way that that is is a first-hand experience in a way that is uh honest and and you know I, you generally speaking the, the limitations don't really affect the feedback you know you can create interactive prototypes you can you can uh you can give them links to click on you can record the screens you can walk them through certain tasks it's um it's pretty it's pretty simple Right. And, um, you know, you also talked about cultures and, uh, uh, you know, uh, what advice would you give to a leader who wants to uh, lead the team and, and build a culture in, in sort of a remote situation? You know, uh, you know, you, you've, you run your own company and be consulting other clients. What, uh, what, do, what feedback would you give to leaders who would want to uh, create a culture of trust, uh, empathy and transparency with their employees? I think the most important thing that you can do is be humble and right. acknowledge that just because that you're, you're the leader, you don't have all the answers. Right. You don't know everything. You can't predict the future. And if you can be humble and if you can admit that to your teams, your teams will admit that back to you when they don't know something. They will feel that psychological safety. They will feel comfortable asking questions. They will feel comfortable telling you when they don't know how to do something. They will, uh, and so what you're doing by being humble is you're saying, look, I hired smart people to help me answer these questions. I believe that these are the questions we need to answer, but I don't know the answers. So go figure this out. Go figure out how to solve these customer problems, how to solve these business problems, right? Come back and tell me. I'll let you know if it's on brand, on vision, on strategy. But I, need, I trust you to do good work and to bring back the answers that we need as a team. To me, that's, that's the most powerful thing you can do as a leader. Right. And, uh, you know, I wanted to understand about about OKRs. Uh, you know, uh, it, it can be really helpful. But how can a company follow OKRs to improve performance? And especially in large organizations where the large teams, uh, do you think OKRs are still valid uh, to uh, to improve performance among team members? Absolutely. Uh, OKRs are one of the most effective ways that organizations can shift to a more customer-centric mindset, to a more agile mindset, to a more collaborative and transparent uh, way of working. That said, 
you have to do them right. And you have to provide teams with, again, the trust to figure out how to achieve their OKRs. And that's a big deal for a lot of organizations. And so, and, and look, yes, they're difficult to do at scale. When you've got a big company, everything's difficult to do at scale. That's one of the challenges. Right. But the, the reality is that, look, objectives and key results work when your key results, your measures of success are outcomes, when they are measures of customer behavior. OKRs break when the KRs that you put in place as success criteria end up being features or output. In other words, you could say, um, you know, we want to be the number one e-commerce destination in all of England. Okay, that's terrific. And what's your measure of success? Well, we will launch the e-commerce app, okay. right? That's not a measure of success. Uh, that is simply you, you deploying a feature or a product in this particular case. Did anyone use it? Did anyone sign up? Did they buy something from you? Did they buy two things from you? Do they come back and buy from you on a regular basis? Do they tell their friends? Does the average order value go up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the kinds of key results, the kind of customer behaviors that you're looking for to tell you that you actually built something of value. Today I have an interesting stat for you, Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. You know, one of the blog posts that you've written, you you mentioned that, you know, NPS uh, is, is a waste of time. Why, so why do you think, you know, uh, net promoter score is a, is a waste of time. <laughs> well, the guy who created it thinks it's a waste of time too these days. Um, look, net promoter score is, is broken up in a variety of different levels. Um, let's start off with the question that you're asked, right? It's the same question every time. How likely are you to recommend this to someone in the future? Right. And right. it's a scale of, of, of uh, one to 10. Correct. Right. So first of all, what's the difference between a six and a seven? Right. I'm a six. Right. I'm a seven. I'm a five. Like, what does that mean? Right. Um, secondarily, you're asking people to speculate about future behavior. Right. In future behavior, we never make mistakes. We always do the right thing. Right. right. You never say in the future, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, drive poorly. In the future, I'm going to stub my toe. No, you're going to say, look, I'm going to walk through this door successfully. I'm going to drive really well, right? And so, of course, yeah, of course, I'll recommend this to a friend in the future, right? Have you recommended it to a friend? No, no, I haven't, right? So a much better question, so look, I'm not saying that customer satisfaction shouldn't be measured. I'm okay. just saying that net promoter score isn't the right metric for it. Instead, what I'm saying is we should measure what satisfied customers do in the system. What do they do in the product, in the application, in the store, wherever it is, right? Satisfied customers use the system. They engage with it on a regular basis. They spend money in it. They tell their friends about it. They tell the internet about it. They own multiple versions of the system. And so it's, it's, a, um, it's much more effective to measure what people do do 
I'm sorry, what people have done in the system than to ask them to speculate about what they will do in the future. And that's the key in why NPS fails in, in a lot of different ways. Look, Netflix does this really well, right? Netflix okay. doesn't say, how likely are you to recommend Netflix to a friend? They say, did, did any, when you sign up, did anyone recommend Netflix to you? Oh. Well, yeah, or no, right? And then they understand how well those referrals are working. Interesting, but but what about a customer who, who's not satisfied uh, with uh, with the company's performance? You know, and and, and the and the leadership, uh, you know, of, of leaders of the company want to understand because you know, say, you know, a company would have say ten thousand customers. You know, wouldn't it be difficult for uh, for for leader to understand? You know, uh, what what is happening uh, with the uh, with the uh, with the customers, uh, or you know, you know, what do you think would be a better metric for for a product guy or a PNL leader to look at uh, when they want to assess, uh, you know, how the customers are feeling? Look, there are clear signs right. that a customer is unsatisfied. There are behaviors in the same way that there are clear signs that uh, customers have. Uh, are satisfied with the product or the system or whatever it is that you're offering, there are clear signs when they are not satisfied as well, right? They don't come back. They don't sign up. They don't follow somebody. They don't buy anything. And your best, best tool in understanding what's happening in your system and why it's happening is talking to your customers. So you, this is, this is something that is not optional. This is not something that we do at the beginning of a new initiative or a big redesign or at the end of it. This is something that you should be doing on a weekly basis. Every week on the same day at the same time, you should be talking to your customers, two, three, four total. You don't have to talk to 10 or 12 every week, but two, three, four customers every week starts to give you a regular sense of how people feel about everything that you've got in the product, everything that you've got in the system and gives you a sense of where to target your efforts for optimization and improvement. Got it. Uh, so, so Jeff, uh, you've also, you know, going about, uh, you've already written, uh, your, uh, you know, uh, Lean UX and Sense and Respond. Now you're coming up with your third book, which is Forever Employable. So what made you write that book and, you know, who are you targeting to this book? Yeah, the interesting thing about this book is that it's, um, it, it is, uh, semi-autobiographical. It's me telling the story of how I built the career that I have today. And it's focused on getting people to understand that if you can build a platform for yourself as a recognized expert and as a thought leader, you start to create a situation where you don't have to look for work, where work finds you on a regular basis. And that is very very empowering that allows you to start to live a different kind of life where you're not terrified that at the next reorganization, you're going to have to rewrite your CV in a panic and ship it and then start to chase the next job. And so I wanted to write this book for everyone, really, I mean, really everyone who's working to, um, who's working kind of mid-career and is wondering what, what's next for them and how they're gonna find it and what's the best way for them to think about uh, extending their career. And I wanted to use my example because people keep asking me, people, people have asked me for years now, 
how I've built this business and what, what did I do and how did I make it happen? And so this is that story. And the interesting thing is that's very practical. It's very tactical. Like I did this and then I did this and then I did this and here's how you should do it. And in the same vein, it applies everything that I've learned from product design and product development and design thinking and product thinking to this process. So we talk a lot about writing hypotheses. We talk about problem solving. We talk about measuring success as outcomes and running experiments to make sure that wherever you decide to strike out and start to build this platform, you stand the greatest chance for success. And so basically, if, you were, if, you're, if you're kind of an, a, a mid-career knowledge worker, Thanks. this book is for you. And and do you think it's it's important for everybody to you know create their own personal brand so that they can they can leverage it to to uh, to being a consultant or being a, a, a you know a knowledge or, or thought leader in that industry or, or do you think it's uh, uh, it makes sense to create a product and then monetize about uh, look I think you need a presence in the industry. I think having a presence increases and amplifies anything else that you put out there. Uh, content marketing, right. valuable content marketing to me is the most effective way to create a conversation about the thing that you'd like to, uh, you know, the market that you'd like to enter into or build your product in. And so the more presence you have in that market, the more people are eager and interested in what you have to say. You know, when I come out, like I, I have a presence in the in kind of digital design world, in the agile world, in the product management world. Um, when I have a new product that comes out in that market, whether it's a book or a workshop or, or a speech or whatever it is, people pay attention because again, I, I have a presence there and, and they, they, know my, they know my previous work, they know my points of view, they know where I stand on things. And so they have a sense of, of what I'm going to do, the quality of it all. And so there, there's a real benefit to having a platform as you go to market with your idea. I think, I think it's hugely beneficial and increases the, the chances of success for your product. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, we are in this at uh, times of uh, COVID where we, we are working remotely and a lot of people, uh, to be honest, have lost their jobs. You know, what advice would you give to them to uh, be forever employable, you know, even though they've lost their jobs and, and uh, they're figuring out what next they need to do? What attributes do you think are needed right now so that six months from now, uh, they're in a, in a much better situation and have diversified uh, their revenue streams? The most important thing you can do right now as you're looking for your next job, so I'm not going to say don't look for your next job, right. but as you're looking for your next job is start sharing stories about your experience. What do you know? What are you good at? What problems do you help people solve? Why would people come looking for you? Um, what stories do you have from your experience that you can share about a tough project or something that you worked on or something you collaborated on that was interesting. Anything and everything is interesting and you don't have to write a lot. Do a little bit on, uh, on Twitter, a little bit on LinkedIn, a little bit on, on your blog or on Medium. You know, anything to get the story out and just keep doing that. Just stay on message and just keep 
telling that story. That is absolutely key because as you continue to do that, as you job search, people are going to Google you. They're going to say, what's this person about? What do they know? And those stories are going to come up. They're going to see how you think, how you write, how you communicate, what you can do, what you've done. And that's going to make you more uh, attractive to potential employers. So just start telling your story. Correct. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, building stories uh, and, and looking for, for your next job or, uh, uh, you know, uh, Creating, a, creating your own business. I think it's important to be a storyteller, right? And you've been, you've been a, a speaker in, in, in conferences. And, you know, what has happened in, uh, in my uh, listener base is a lot of, lot of entrepreneurs are looking to pitch VCs or they're looking to pitch their ideas. What advice would you give to them to, to give a great presentation on, on, a, on, a, on a Zoom or, a, or, or, or on a Skype? And how, how can uh, they become better speakers in future? Oof, there's a lot, there's a lot here and it's yeah. tough. It's really tough. The toughest part, I think, for me anyway, of this of presenting from, from your home all the time now is you can't make eye contact with right. anybody. You can't, uh, I, don't, I don't know if someone's looking at me. They don't know that I'm looking at them. And so all of that is really, uh, it's really difficult. Plus energy is tough. So, and I, so one thing that I would consider, something I've been considering is assuming this continues for a while, um, I don't have a standing desk, but yeah. I, I'd consider getting a standing desk just so I can present standing up. I think I'll have, I have more energy, more uh, enthusiasm, kind of more, more body motion. I think that that's interesting. I think you've got to stay upbeat. I think you've got to stay energetic. I think you've got to have good visuals. I think that's absolutely, absolutely important is to have good visuals. Um, I think you need to keep your presentation short and I think you need to break them up with interactive activities. So polls, questions, uh, chat discussions, sidebars, games, anything you can do to keep it interesting. Like for example, there's um, a webinar that uh, I'm going to host with, with one of our authors in, uh, in, on the 1st of July, where she's planning to do kind of a, a Jeopardy style game using PowerPoint and Zoom uh, to help keep it interesting, right? So I think you've got to get creative. I think you've got to really think about um, how to keep people's attention, knowing they've probably been in that chair for hours already. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's a big deal. And there's all kinds of, of you know, facilitation techniques you can do, like everybody go into your house and find a funny hat. Or just find a funny thing and bring it back to the camera and show everybody. Like there's icebreakers you can do to keep it interesting. But ultimately, it's up to you uh, to stay on point, to stay focused, to stay energetic, to keep it short, um, and, and really kind of hit home with, with fun things for people to look at, not just your talking head all the time. Correct. Yeah. So uh, these are all very interesting points. I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Oof, uh, that's a tough question. Uh, my favorite business book at the moment is The Art of Action by Stephen Bungay. Got it. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working on your own uh, business, uh, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Oof, um, 
I would have started writing earlier. I think to me, the, the fact I became a writer relatively late in my career, not until I was about 30 or 31. And I really, I would have started much, much sooner so that by the time I was 30 and 35, I would have been a much, much better writer. Um, I think communicating writing is the most important skill that you can have. And I think that it is uh, key to start early. So I would just go back and start that much, much, much earlier. Interesting. And um, what's your favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Uh, my favorite online tool. Um, look, I'm a big Trello fan. I have to admit, I use Trello all the time for everything. And so for me, that's, that's my productivity tool. Everything is there. So super important. Got it. And what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Forever Employable? The easiest way to find me is at jeffgothealth.com. Everything is there. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to do that as well. Uh, or follow me on Twitter at jboogie. Um, but really, if you go to jeffgothealth.com, everything's there, Forever Employable, all the books, all the speeches. That's a great place to start. Right, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. My pleasure, Rohit. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.